Morning, Emmaus. How is everyone today? Amen. It's warm out. When you get when you are a little uncomfortable, just remember winter. I uh, actually I'm a, my name is hello. My name is Trevor Rubenstein. I'm actually originally from northern Minnesota. Um, when I was about 10 years old, my parents got wise and they moved out of the state and somewhere much warmer. Um, I was actually a troubled kid. Um, I eventually, uh, I eventually was expelled from school. Um, I was a uh, what's the best way of saying this? Recreational pharmaceutical test engineer. I'm from a Jewish home, a lot of successful people. I was quite the opposite. Um, but, uh, but after that, I actually got into a uh, college, and uh, one accepted me. Um, and I was tricked into a Bible study, and this is almost 30 years ago this year, in which we read the words of Jesus for the first time, and I came to believe, and, and really he changed my life. He saved my life. And... Uh, so by the grace of God, really my focus since then has been reaching Jewish people with the gospel. And I'm fortunate to work for an organization called Chosen People Ministries. Clearly I feel led, I feel that God led me back to Minnesota because it was not my flesh. It was partially my wife. But, uh, but so I'm really blessed to be here and to serve with Chosen People. Um, some wonderful news that uh, we've been so busy with work and people to meet with and people considering faith in Jesus from the Jewish community um, that I've needed help. Actually, according to Pew Research, I might have mentioned this last time I was here, in 2020, uh, 19% of the American Jewish population now considers themselves Christian. This is massive. Yeah. Yeah, massive. And, uh, and we're seeing just major upticks all over the world from my associates, although I don't know what all the numbers are. Um, but we've never seen anything like this before. So it's really been a fantastic time to be in Jewish ministry and to reach Jewish people with the gospel. So I'm very fortunate to run the Minnesota branch of this organization. We're located in St. Louis Park for obvious reasons. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, one out of every four people, actually, in that city is Jewish. Um, so uh, so it's, it's really a blessing for us to minister and to serve in the Minnesota area and to see what God's doing. If you guys want, again, to know more about our ministry or what we do, please grab one of the uh, brochures in the back. And if there's any way that we can ever help you reach a Jewish loved one, uh, please contact us, get our information from one of the pastors here. Uh, we we want to help. We have a lot of resources. I'm happy to meet with people. Um, Sometimes I regret saying that, but I am happy to meet with people, and I love them truly because of what God did for me. So without going any further, let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 as we look at how the Lord's promises work for us. Isaiah 7 through 9, actually. Lord, we thank you, God, and we praise you for this day. God, we're so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us, God. Lord, we ask that this day, Father, you help strengthen our faith. Lord, you help draw us closer to you, God. Father, that you use us to further your kingdom in these times, God, Father, as 
things seem so dark at times, God, let us hold on to the hope and the promises of you, Father. God, your promises are more powerful than any of our situations, God, and so we thank you for that, and Lord, the assurity that you give us. God, speak to us today. We love you, we praise you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, B'Shem Yeshua, Amen. So as we're, we're going to get into Isaiah chapter 7 here, let me give you a little bit of a historic context. So we're, we're going to go back about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And uh, during this time, Israel is divided into two countries. The northern kingdom is Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah. The Lord allowed for this division because of the depravity of Israel and the rebelliousness of God's kings that he allowed to rule over this nation at this time. And, and at this point in time, this is a time where Assyria is dominating much of the known world, conquering much of the known world, and there comes a concern that we're going to read about to the prophet Isaiah. It says this, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jatham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Ramalia, and the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. But could not yet mount an attack against it when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim. So now, there's something I want us to notice here. This term, house of David, is a very rare term that's used in Scripture. It's talking about the kings in the line of David, and this is going to bring up a concern because there's a very important promise that's made to David that if something happens to the house of David, that the concern is that God's promises will be no more. And it goes on and says, oh, in league with Ephraim. Ephraim is actually a term that often is referring, referring to the northern kingdom of Israel. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as of the trees of the forest, shake before the wind, and the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz and to, uh, and to share uh, Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway of the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand. So what's happening is the northern kingdom of Israel is partnering with Syria and they have plans to attack the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, in which Ahaz is currently the king. And it says, uh, it goes on and says, at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the sons of Ramalia, because Syria and Ephraim and the sons of Ramalia had devised evil against you saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel, the king of the midst of it, thus says the Lord God. So here's the concern. God made a promise to the people of Judah through David. But the threat is, is that this king will be overthrown by Israel and by Syria. And if this king is overthrown, then what happens to God's promises? What happens? What would we do without the promises of God? 
And it goes and, and, the, and the prophecy goes on and makes a statement. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And with 65 years, Ephraim, and in 65 years, Ephraim will be scattered from being a people. So the northern kingdom of Israel, eventually, before the southern kingdom of Judah, is going to be dispersed throughout all the world when Assyria comes and destroys them in the north. So God's saying, don't worry about their plan, I'm going to deal with them. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the sons of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Saying that things are going to be horrible. Trust in God's promises. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so Ahaz, the king of Judah, is a wicked king also. The king of Assyria, all, or excuse me, all the kings of Israel were wicked. Each and every one of them worshipped other gods. They established pagan worship. They turned away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They rejected many of, what, of his instructions and his promises. But sometimes in Judah there were good kings. Other times there were wicked kings, and Ahaz was one of them. And just like when the prophet here is speaking to Ahaz, Ahaz is refusing to listen to God, and God will eventually deal with Ahaz, but God has a promise despite the wickedness of Ahaz. And he goes and says this, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, again speaking to the promise that God had made through the kings of David, which Ahaz is one of them. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so this is the promise. The promise is that even if, even if somehow the, the kingdoms of this world could try to interfere with the promises and could usurp the king of Judah, and put in another king, eliminating the promise that God made to David that David could bring forth, or God could bring forth a descendant of David through a virgin. So we st this famous prophecy that we've read about in the Gospel of Matthew is really assuring the people that God can overcome any circumstances. This is what he's saying to the people. No matter what the circumstances seem like, no matter what we see going on around us, God can miraculously have his will occur in a way that we've never foreseen or thought of previously. See, the Jewish people actually really question this section of Scripture. Because the word here for virgin, that's translated virgin in the Hebrew, is the word alma, and Alma is a word that really means young maiden. And so the rabbis will often attack Christian beliefs on this and they'll say, well, it's not saying born of a virgin, so you guys are wrong about this whole Jesus thing. It says young maiden. But what they're missing is a couple components, one of which is the ancient Jewish scholars in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, did translate it virgin for multiple reasons. One of which is this is a miraculous sign. 
Is it miraculous when a young woman has a child? Not necessarily. So there's something miraculous about this, but also something that they're missing is unfortunately in our culture, someone being a young unmarried woman, which is really what this means, being a virgin is not necessarily common, but in the time of Israel, if you were not married, you were almost definitely a virgin. And so this is really talking about a miraculous thing that God was going to bring forth. And the name that he gives him, Emmanuel, means God with us. Really the promises of the Lord coming down in a tangible way. And this goes on and says, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as has not been seen since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What God's telling them is, you're worried about these nations and what they're about to do. He says, these nations are going to pass. That interesting. So God makes a promise, but he says these nations will pass. You're worried about these nations and they're not going to exist forever. You see, God made a promise. Let's look at this. Ah, we missed it. God made a promise to King David. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the promise that God made to King David says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, when God makes a promise, it's different than when I make a promise. Because when God says something, it's true. When I say something, it might not be true. And look at this face, it's convincing. <laughs> but it's possible that I can be wrong. Because if I say that, uh, if I say that there is a um, that there's a guitar player on my left. There's no such thing. But if God said it, there would be. Whatever God says is. What he speaks, it's tangible. When he says, let there be light, there's light. When he created life out of stones, he created life out of stones. It just it came to existence. God speaks and it is. And so the understanding here and the promise here is that God said that he is going to take from the house of David a child and that child then will establish God's kingdom forever. You see, the kingdoms of this world are temporary. They don't last forever. Much like my flesh, it's temporary. It doesn't last forever, thankfully. I tell people that I'm very excited to pass and be with the Lord for two primary reasons. One of which is I'm excited to be with Jesus. And the other is I'm excited to get rid of the sin bag. 
Because really our new bodies, that when he resurrects us, that we receive are no longer tarnished by sin. They're no longer temporal, but they're eternal. And these are the things that we look forward to. And so there's this discrepancy in this issue of, are we looking towards the temporal things? Are we focusing on that and the current circumstances? Or are we trusting in the promises of God? In Isaiah chapter 8, Verses 9 through 15, it goes on and says, Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me, and with strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of the people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that the people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him <clears throat> excuse me, be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary, a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling for both the houses of Israel. And a strap and a snare in the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and, and a token. So what's happening here is he's saying that the nations might seems scary. Things in the world might seem scary to us, but we trust in God. We trust in His promises. And so when we're worried about the things of this world, about people taking away God from us, about directing us away from the Lord, he says, don't call a conspiracy a conspiracy because the reality is whatever anyone in this world tries to do will not usurp the promises of God. See, because God's plan is eternal for both you and for the kingdom in which he's going to set up. He has set eternity in each and every one of us who has put our faith and trust in the death of Jesus for our sins and believe that he rose from the dead so that he too will one day raise us from the dead. Those of us have eternity set in us through the Spirit of God. He is worried about what's eternal and we sometimes worry about what's temporal and where the state of things that we're in today because at times it seems like people are moving against the things of god it seems like maybe our government or maybe different governments around the world well they're 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 attacking the gospel they're preventing us from doing what we're called to do god says don't worry about it because he's in control Instead, we continue to serve and we continue to believe. Despite what it might look like, as hopeless as things might look, we have the eternal promise that the Messiah is returning. And he's going to set up his kingdom, and you too will be part of it if you put your faith and trust in him. And he wants us to focus not necessarily on the temporal, because really this world is wicked. And the things of this world will pass. But God has a plan. And he will establish his justice and his hope. Look what the psalmist goes on and says. Whoop, did we miss that too? It's all right. I'll just read it. It says this. 
Oh, actually, that's next. So first we'll read this. This is in Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 16. It says, Bind up the testimony seal and uh, the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and, and uh, excuse me, potents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony if they will not speak according to this word? It, it is because they have no down and they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry and when they are hungry they will be in, uh, enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth but behold the stress and darkness and gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is what he's saying. Where are we looking for our answers? Because at this point in time, what was happening was the people were looking towards other gods. They were looking to mediums. They were trying to speak to the dead. They're thinking, there's got to be some answers somewhere. And he says, are you going to the dead to look for answers for the living? This is really an important point. Because no matter what we seek, where we're looking for things, if we're seeking the Lord for our answers, if we're seeking His eternal truth through His eternal Word, then that will lead us towards eternity. But we're looking towards things that simply are going to pass away, whether, whether governance or whether they're worshiping of idols, things that will eventually just be completely gone, then you're going to seek something that also will be gone, and that's, it will lead to nothingness. So where's your hope? Where's your promise? Is it in the, the nation in which we dwell today? Is it in other kingdoms of the world? Is it in political parties? Is it in political leaders? Where is our hope? Because each and every one of these things will fail you, believe it or not. Has anyone ever been failed by a political system here or felt like something didn't fulfill what they felt like it was supposed to fulfill? That's because it's temporary and none of it will last and the only perfect kingdom is going to be established by Jesus you see, Jesus loves you, and he cares for you, and he's benevolent. And the things of this world are, are being, are imploding, really. So who are we to look for for our solutions? Look what the psalmist says. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. But you see, we want something tangible. We want someone to follow. It seems so simple. But really what that can be at times, and it's good to have leaders and it's good to have godly leaders, but really we don't trust in them to fulfill the promises of God in themselves apart from the Lord's leading. Instead, we trust in the Lord himself. But because we can't see him, sometimes we want something that we can touch, something that we can feel, because that seems more solid to us. But really, it can be a lack of faith. Are we trusting in things simply because we feel them, or are we trusting in things because they're true? You see, Jesus died 
for our sins just like the Scriptures promised. And then He rose again on the third day just like the Scriptures promised. So He has proven to us that He is trustworthy, that He fulfills all of the things that He says that He will do. Are we willing to put our faith and trust in Him despite what we see around us and despite the failures that we see? In Isaiah chapter 9, it continues. Let's actually skip this. In Isaiah chapter 9, it continues and it says this, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought her to contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea in the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, of the Gentiles. You see, this is the area that in the northern part of Israel that was most heavily hurt by Assyria when they came and they invaded. But God said that even in the most, even in the most, distro- in the most affected places, the places that were decimated, the places that were hit the hardest, God can bring redemption. That's our God, though. That's how He works. So even when things seem hopeless in my life where I was leading into such a destructive place personally with my decisions and the things that I was doing and seemed hopeless, Jesus did a work in me and He changed me. And in a similar way, in this place that is about to get decimated by a foreign nation and we think, well, what's the hope there? And He says that there's a promised one that's coming to this very area because this is where Jesus ran, primarily ran with his ministry, is in this very area that was so horribly decimated. And it was a pro- this was a prophecy, actually, that was fulfilled according to Matthew when Jesus set up his ministry around the Galilee. And it goes on and states, "...the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light." And those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone, and you have multiplied the nation, and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy in the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke is uh, of his burden, and the staff for, uh, for his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, as have broken as as excuse me on this day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment is rolled in blood and will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's just making it very clear in this section of scripture that the things of this world are passing, that the things that are the the oppressors, those who are taking advantage of others, those who are fighting against the will of God, they will pass. Their their destiny is not an eternal one in a good manner in the kingdom of heaven, but yours will be if you follow and trust in the Lord. And so we run into this and we have this question as to, Where do we put our hope? Where do we put our focus? Where are we spending our time? 
Are we investing most of our times and our efforts into things that are temporal? Or are we investing most of our times and efforts into things that are eternal? Because the temporal will only last so long. I remember challenging a young Jewish man with this question who was very educated. I asked him, why did you spend so much time in school? And he said, well, because it prepares me to have a good life for the rest of my time. And I said, how long is that going to be? And he stated, well, you know, maybe for another 70 or 60 or 70 years. And I said, well, then how much time should you spend investing in your eternity? How much? And how much of our time should be spent in prayer and service and in God's Word and worshiping Him? How much should we focus on the eternal, on reaching out to people and offering them the promise of eternal life that they can have if they trust in Jesus instead of focusing mostly on the things that are going to pass? There's things in this world that are necessary. It's good to do things in the temporal uh, because it does preserve us in our time here. But it is not the place where we should be storing our treasures for what's everlasting. But in Isaiah chapter 9, God goes on and he tells him what this promise is going to look like in a very famous verse that we're very familiar with, I'm sure. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, God has this promise that He is going to fulfill through this descendant of David that He is going to bring in an everlasting kingdom of peace. If you were wondering why our governments of this world don't work, it's very simple. Very, very simple. It's run by humans. Has anyone here ever ran their own life and it gone perfectly? No, we're human. You see, but God had an idea because He knew that the only person that could lead us perfectly is Him. When Israel originally wanted a king, they wanted this king to rule and to reign over them, but that's not what God desired. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when Israel initially installed Saul as their king and they were reaching out to Samuel. Samuel was the judge of Israel. The judge, the way that they would work is they would seek God on behalf of the nation and the people wanted something different. It says this, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel in Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. It's an interesting statement to make to somebody. You're getting close to dying and your kids aren't good. Now appoint to us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You see, God wanted to be our king. But yet we wanted to follow other men. And so he said, 
I know the solution. I'm going to send my son to be both God and king for the people. All of a sudden, what we desired and what he desired comes together, and how does this work? Well, no man could love us like God does. No man could understand what we need like God understands what we need. No man could fulfill us like God can fulfill us. And so our hope is not in any man, but our hope is in God coming down and ruling and reigning as the, in the form of His Son, just in a massive, massive, massive change of everything for God. He decided that He was going, or from what people perceived He was going to do, He decided that He was going to come and to rule and to reign over us in the form of a man, the Son of the triune God, Jesus. Because He loved you. He's benevolent. You see, no other ruler can come and can die for you and then still rule afterward. And if you wonder, how do I know that Jesus knows what's best for me? Well, He died for you so that you can have eternal life. He proved it. You see, if any of our leaders of even this government, if, if a president decided that I'm going to sacrifice my life for the people of Israel, then he's gone. So even if he tried to be benevolent, he couldn't be eternally, but our Lord is. Because he died for us, and he proved to you that he loves you, and he proved to you that he's worthy to be followed, and he proved to you that he knows what's best for you, and he proved to you that he is the king that we've been waiting for. You'll never find perfection in this world, so let's invest in what's eternal. And let's not seek the temporal for our solutions, but let's seek God, and let's invest all of our time and effort in him in the things of his kingdom, at least more so than what we're spending in the temporal. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank you, God, and we praise you, Lord. God, we thank you that you give us a hope, Father, not a temporal hope, God, but an eternal one. Because the things that are temporary all fade away, God. But what you establish is forever. And so, God, we ask, Father, that you move our hearts to focus more on you, God, and the things that more are everlasting, God. Lord, that our investments will primarily be in treasures in heaven instead of treasure, treasures on earth, God. Father, that you'll give us a broken heart for the lost, Lord. And that you'll give us a strength, Father, that can persevere through difficult times because of the hope and the faith that we have in you. And for anybody who might be listening to this message, who might be seeing that this world seems hopeless, that things seem hopeless, Lord, I pray, God, that you will allow them to see, Father, that there is a great hope for them, Lord. It's in eternity and it's through you. You can change their lives even now through your spirit. If they believe in your death for forgiveness of their sins, no matter how horrible they are, and that they trust in your resurrection for their promise of eternal life, God, that you will move in them powerfully, God, even now. And if anybody here has heard this message, please, 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 Speak to one of the pastors of this church and tell them that you want to give your life to Jesus, to something that's eternal when this world seems so hopeless. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In the name of your Son, Jesus the Messiah. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. In the Jewish tradition, I raise my hands.
in the Hebrew letter Shin. Looks like I know what Spock does, but that's because he was Jewish and this is where he got it from. We raise our hands. We say a prayer that Moses had instructed Aaron to bless the people of Israel with. It goes like this. It means the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift His countenance upon you and grant you His peace. Bless you, Emmaus, and thank you so much. You guys have a wonderful day.